It's Wednesday, June 2nd, 2010. And hey, you got Oz in your ears. I'm here on the shore of the Gulf Coast for Radio Free Oz, talking with Charles Dunder, the latest member of Obama's Gang of Five sent down here to solve the oil spill crisis. Uh, you've just arrived, haven't you, Charles? Yes, I replaced Professor Katz, uh, you know, the astrophysicist, when it was revealed that he was a virulent homophobe and a climate change denier. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So, but, so w- what do you add to the team? Then? Well, I run the Petro Nutritional Institute back at Solid State University. I'm down here investigating a sustainable solution to the well, massive loss of fish and shellfish that's going on right here at our feet as we speak. Uh, Petro Nutrition, I'm not familiar with that field. Oh, well, it's relatively new. You know, it didn't take off until we got the whole petrophilic nano-cloning process down. Excuse me? Well, sorry, uh, Mr. Oz. Simply put, given the right start to genes, chain-ganged polymers, and robust steroids, we can create a host of creatures that not only survive in oil-saturated water, but... Well, they really thrive on it. Oh, mm-hmm. Is uh, is that one of them? That thing you're holding in your hand looks looks vaguely like a shrimp. Yes, yes, uh, exactly. We call it the slick shrimp, and and yes, it does thrive in oil polluted wetlands, just like these. Uh, now, you throw a million slick shrimp scat. <laughs> the little fellas are called when they come out of the test tube, no bigger than a puppy seed. <laughs> and a month later, well, they're as big as as Buster hair. <laughs> Ready to be flavored and set off to market. You want to try one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's a little chewy. Oh, that's the that's the polymer filling. How does it taste? Uh, tastes like pork. Yeah, yeah. Pork flavored slick shrimp. One of my one of my favorites. It's uh, it's pan Asian. You know. let, let let me have it back. Oh, oh. Yeah, okay. Oh, now you see. Watch this. I I just dip it in the degreaser and watch as it springs back to life. You could rub a little of this on it. All right. Here you are again. Now give it a try. Mmm. Now that tastes like Jumbo Bayou Stampy, the real thing. Oh, well, they're all the real thing. <laughs> well, <clears throat> and that should go over real good with the green crowd. I mean, you can re-eat them. Up to a dozen times, we believe, before the steroid skeleton breaks down, and, well, they just turn to mush. It's a reasonable short-term solution, Charles, but I, I can't wait for the real shrimp to return. Oh, return? Well, Uncle Pete, that hole in the ocean floor is spewing some 200,000 gallons of oil a day. Your great-grandchildren will be waiting for these little shrimp to return. Now, so, now let's get real. I've got this oil-happy catfish here. You only have to put a match to it, like this. Ooh! <laughs> See? He's sautéed and ready to serve. <laughs> this is Peter Bergman for Radio Free Oz in the Gulf, and I want to go home. <laughs> he can never go home. Oh well, that's that's a great opening, Pete. We gotta we gotta play that several times. We always do. Uh, you know, is that why it's on every day? Yeah, well, it's on every day also because it's becoming so popular. People are beginning to actually adjust to the fact that we may never eat real shellfish and certain types of fish again. And I'm down to that restaurant. Uh, yeah, the oh the, yeah, the Oil Fish Cafe. The Oil Fish Cafe. I thought, no, come on. But I had some of the uh, oil happy catfish there. Yeah, yeah. Which they which they self ignite at the table. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's there it yeah. Goes. You Just hear like it poof, yeah. all over the restaurant. Oh, yeah. It's very yeah. effective. Uh, they've got. Again, I think 12, now 15 flavors for the oil slick shrimp, mm. you know, including pistachio. Oh, yeah. Mm, that's yeah. really good. Hey, what, what, what's in that chemical they're using? Maybe maybe there's some flavoring. that. Well, go ahead. Well, let's see. I'm trying to remember what else they had there. Uh, I think they had some clams that never open, I think it uh, was called. Uh-huh. Yeah, they just sit there at the bottom and kind of remind you of the old days. It's, well, it's kind of can, a Japanese thing. Say, but they serve them with a goldfish, living goldfish that swims around. Well, uh, it, it's living for a while. I see. I see. Oil Slick Cafe. Well, uh, there's also a lot of dolphins out there. Um, people aren't supposed to eat dolphins, I, I suppose that. You know, they don't hunt for dolphins, but when the president was on TV, I understand there was a dolphin uh, just bounding up and down in the background like a supporter, or maybe maybe not like a supporter. Well, not sure about that. 
This is from the tan lady. That's what I call the Los Angeles Times, just as the New York Times is the gray lady. Some fishermen who have been hired by BP to clean up the Gulf oil spill say they have become ill after working long hours near waters fouled with oil and dispersant, prompting a Louisiana lawmaker to call on the federal government to open mobile clinics in rural areas to treat them. The fishermen report severe headaches, dizziness, nausea, and difficulty breathing. Concerned by the reports, Representative Charles Mellicon, he's a Democrat of Louisiana, wrote to Health and Human Services Secretary Kathleen Sebelius asking the agency's help providing medical treatment. So, not only are we killing fish, it appears we are making sick all the people that we're hiring to somehow get rid of the stuff that kills the fish. Hell on wheels! Melikon said he expected BP to fund the clinics, but his spokeswoman said the company had not responded to last week's request for financial assistance. George Jackson, 53, has been fishing since he was 12 and took a BP cleanup job after the massive oil spill forced the closure of fisheries and left him unemployed. As he was laying containment booms, he said, a dark substance floating on the water made his eyes burn. I ain't never run on anything like this, Jackson said. Within seconds, he said, his head started hurting and he became nauseated. Like other cleanup workers, Jackson has attended a training class where he was told not to pick up oil-related waste. Wait a minute. Oh, I see. He's just got to broom it or somehow do something with it, but don't touch it. But he said he wasn't provided with protective equipment and wore leather boots and regular clothing on his boat. Oh, send him out, tell him it's toxic, but don't give him any protective equipment because it might cost a little bit too much. BP, the deadly cheapskates. BP officials told us if we ran into oil, it wasn't supposed to bother us, Jackson said. As far as gloves go, no, we haven't been wearing any gloves. David Michaels, U.S. Assistant Secretary of Labor for Occupational Safety and Health, reviewed the conditions for cleanup workers, pledging this month that the federal government would ensure workplace safety in a toxic environment. Oh, that's nice. They review it, but don't take any action until somebody gets sick. So David Michaels is sitting back there, what, trading porn emails with the Interior Department? We'll hear more about that later. No, he probably wasn't. He was just asleep at the wheel. Even the EPA's monitoring of air quality on the Gulf shoreline, 50 miles from the oil leak, has detected petroleum odors strong enough to cause sickness. The agency's website warns coastal residents, quote, Some of these chemicals may cause short-lived effects like headache, eye, nose, and throat irritation or nausea. Well, BP spokesman Graham McEwen said he was unaware of any health complaints among cleanup workers, noting that the company had taken hundreds of samples of so-called volatile organic carbons, such as benzene, and all the levels were well within federal safety standards. The only thing that's not within federal safety standards is the lies. I mean, he can say there is no regulation for these spin doctors to lie to us. And by the time we figure it out, everybody's sick. To Ricky Ott, a marine tech. To Ricky Ott, a marine toxicologist who studied the uh, 1989 Exxon Valdez spill off Alaska, it's deja vu. Or as uh, Yogi Berra said, it's deja vu all over again. What we saw with Exxon Valdez was a parallel track. Sick animals and sick people. Harbor seals were looking like they were drunk and dying. And autopsies showed brain lesions. What are we exposing these poor fishermen to, Ott said. Some fishermen suspect that health problems are going unreported because with so much of the Gulf closed to commercial fishing, unemployed shrimpers and oystermen are grateful for the cleanup job. So, we kill their employment and then we kill them, but they can't report it because this is the only work available. Barsic said he won't risk going out, especially after a crew told him of working around the Chandelier Islands, a barrier chain hit by the slick. All the birds were walking around like a bunch of zombies, he said. The other zombies were the federal people they set down who can't figure out what to do, of course. Barsic said the company is not providing respirators because... If they give us that type of equipment, then they admit there are health hazards. Um, that's, I mean, I don't know where to go with that. I'm just going to move on. He acknowledged that it was difficult for fishermen to prove their ailments since they seemed to recover after leaving the water. It becomes a matter of honor, Barisic said. You left in the morning, you were okay. Out of the water, you've got a pounding headache, throwing up. This is a scandal. 
It's an ecological scandal. It's a health scandal. It's a government scandal. And it's basically a result of sucking up too much oil, living an unsustainable lifestyle. We've got to get the oil out of our veins. Well, in our race around the world, looking for news, odd stories from odd places, where have you landed now? It's good you say odd places, because according to the American ethos, all places but here are odd. Right. Well, of course. Yeah. Well, this is England. I got this from some English uh, newspaper, and it's by this guy, odd place. guy named Shane Harris, who mm-hmm. wrote The Watchers, The Rise of America's Surveillance State. But now we're going to talk about England. Nicholas Clegg is the new deputy prime minister of the United Kingdom. That's because they have this now power sharing, right, where the, the conservatives have a coalition government with the liberals. Well, it appears that that both of them are setting, you know, policy, that they're working together. And it's it's quite sweeping. He set the, the bar high for his political reform agenda. In a recent speech, Clegg unveiled what he called a power revolution, a fundamental resettlement of the relationship between the state and the citizen. To kick it off, he took aim at the UK's pervasive security apparatus, a network of thousands of video cameras, a national DNA database, and an aggressive domestic intelligence service. If he makes good on his plans, it will indeed mark a fundamental shift in the constant tension between security and personal liberty, and it could have consequences on this side of the pond, we being this side of the pond. Supporters of enhanced surveillance must offer, he said, a better argument for why, in that constant tug-of-war between security and liberty, we should come down so heavily on the side of measures that do so little to stop acts of violence. He said, this government is going to transform our our politics so that the state has far less control over you and you have far more control over the state. The government will end the culture of spying on its citizens. It is outrageous. He said, it is outrageous that decent, law-abiding people are regularly treated as if they have something to hide. My gosh, Pete, I mean, Americans really like that. They like to be treated as if they have something to hide. For one thing, they've most of them got sidearms in the back of their jeans. Yeah, exactly. Is is that a sidearm in the back of your jeans, or are you just looking for for immigrants? I mean, you you know, we we think not only— well, we hide what we have to hide. The English are great eccentrics. You know, they, got, they don't hide what they got, but we hide. Like all these Baptist preachers and ev- evangelicals who are hiding the fact that they're adulterous or homosexual, they hide it. It's part of the fun, it's, or it's certainly part of the ethos of it's America. Part of, this seems to be part of the American culture, to hide who you really are inside uh, the body of, you know, of... of well, during the Second World War, I think they picked the uh, the, the larger bomber, wasn't that the B-27 or 8 or whatever it was? You know, I mean, most guys would like to be just as big as this bomber. Yeah, right. But uh, And then, you know, that only lasted for so long. And uh, Now guys want to be as accurate as that missile. That's but, it. That's but, it. You want to be sharp. Or you as stealthy be... as that drone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we got stuff to hide. And, and one of the reasons is, I think, again, I'm just, this is cheap psychology, but I think we have so much to hide. We have so much that we deny that we just project this onto other people. So now the idea of surveilling everybody, revealing everybody's secrets is, is, is quite attractive. And here comes this guy, Clegg, who's like half the government now saying, no more here, buddy. And, you know, they, they, they have the largest collection of surveillance oh, cameras, there are cameras in the world. cameras everywhere, 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 12 or 15 of them on every corner. But what's so interesting is that a the conservative party would make a move to decrease security, whereas in this country, the conservative party are the champions of more surveillance, more security, more cameras, and and, and have a great support team in the American populace who increasingly doesn't mind what they, we, us have to go through just just to get on an airplane, which, you know, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Yeah, I've been a comedian now for 40-some years. Uh, sometimes I think I'm pretty funny. I like to do my own material, et cetera, et cetera. But every once in a while, I come across a piece that's so funny, I have to read it in its entirety. And here's one from Bill Maher. The Republican leadership in America must produce their birth certificates. Not because I doubt they're American. I just want to make sure they're not eight years old. I mention this because a major talking point on Fox News and hate radio these days is that after a year and a half of Obama, it's time to bring the adults back into power so they can rein in the deficit, defeat terrorism, and focus on America's real enemy, cleaning ladies in Arizona. 
But I must protest the premise because conservatives are the ones who tend to believe in magical ideas like America is never wrong, you can defeat terrorism militarily, and lower taxes will somehow fix the deficit. And I'm not even mentioning the stuff about how Jesus used to fly around on a pterodactyl and just hated it when homos ate wedding cake. Now, am I saying there are no adults in today's Republican Party? Absolutely not. There are. But like a lot of parents today, the adults let their kids cow them and silence them and rule over them. Ah, You know, like Rush Limbaugh as a child, a primal scream of a man, but he gets his way because he's the fat bully on the playground. And Glenn Beck is the weepy kid who's always crying because he's insane and you don't know what he's going to do and who he's going to take with him. For example, to solve our debt crisis, a bunch of Republican senators suggested a bipartisan debt commission, which is the adult thing to do. But when Obama agreed to it, immediately seven of them said, no, no, they're against it because Obama has cooties. Democrats have cooties, so they can't vote with them or work with them, and compromise is treason. Compare this to England, where they just had an election two weeks ago, and power changed hands. But the party that lost is working with the party that won. They are not accusing them of being Bolshevik Zulus out to destroy the Magna Carta. Because the English are grown-ups including their conservatives, who enjoy a wonderful luxury that conservatives on this side of the pond do not. They're allowed to be sane. They don't have to pander to creationists and anti-intellectuals. Only in this dumb country do liberals and conservatives argue over things like evolution and climate change and whether sick people should be left to die in the street. The conservative who won in England, David Cameron, was asked if he's religious, and he said, I don't feel I have a direct line. That's right. He distanced himself from God. If Obama did that, we wouldn't see him again until neighbors called the cops about the smell. Conservatives in England don't care about the three G's, God, guns, and gays, that tilt so many elections in America, and they don't get their policy idea from TV shows like 24. You never hear a Brit say, I'm for torture because it worked on the Avengers. Finally, One hallmark of not being adult is a tendency to exaggerate. Like this week when Newt Gingrich said the Obama administration represents as great a threat to America as Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union once did, which is basically saying Obama is a billion times worse than any president ever. No, he's infinitely times worse. And it made me think, were we this deranged when Bush was in office? I don't think so. And Bush merited it. We once did a sketch on this show where we sold George Bush screw-up collector plates, which included starting and mismanaging the Iraq War, not catching bin Laden, Katrina, Abu Abu Ghraib, transforming a budgetary surplus into a giant debt, not doing anything about global warming, sitting on his ass on 9-11, outing Valerie Plame, firing federal prosecutors for political reasons, nominating Harriet Myers, Tereshavo, trying to sell the ports to the Arabs. I mean, giant, tangible, horrific screw-ups that Obama could never equal. Although, with the way he's solving the oil spill, he's off to a good start. Well, Dave, you and I grew up with the Cold War. I mean, we, it, was, it was really it was, cold. It was really cold. Well, I mean, right after World War II, uh, and then all of a sudden the Russians have spies that get the A-bomb and the H-bomb, and it just went on and on and on, and the Russians were just, they were the bad guys. Believe it or not, they were the bad guys. It right? was a very black and white time. Yeah, remember, I, I, I led three lives, the mm, story of the guy who Herb Philbrick. Herb Philbrick. Yeah. I was a, an FBI man. I was a Russian spy. And I don't even know what the third, everyday uh, uh, husband. Un, unfaithful husband. Unfaithful no, husband. Like and, and, you know. No, right. he, was a good, he was a good guy. He and, was a father knows best. And then he was a spy for both sides. Yeah. Okay. They like that image. So things have changed. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, they've really? Okay. As they always, this is good news. We got this is a good news report. You know, All it's right. interesting. Somebody wrote and said, you know, uh, I love listening to this show, but it's a little dire. Okay. And I wrote back, I said, well, I don't consider Radio Free Oz dire. I consider it urgent. We will back our atomic clock off another couple of ticks with this one, right? Okay. So I told the guy, if you want good radio with wonderful people on it, good production, but with no urgency, listen to NPR. But on Radio Free Oz, we're going to attack whatever has to be attacked. But this is good news. All right. As they always do, Russia's uh, finest infantrymen 
Ooh, that's good. Infantrymen, sailors, and airmen strode across the Red Square for the annual Victory Day parade, accompanied by a customary display of intimidating weaponry. Tanks rumbled by, planes zoomed overhead, missiles as long as subway cars were towed across the historic cobblestones. But this year, tradition was upended. There, in the shadow of the Kremlin, on ground that had long symbolized Russian might, marched a young soldier from Grand Street in Lower Manhattan, specialist Tyler Smith and his fellow Americans. Whoa. Well, I <clears throat> certainly remember seeing those uh, missiles as long as, well, they Subway as long cars. as battleships. They were huge. Well, one of the reasons the they made them so long is that they really didn't have the they didn't have the delivery systems we did. So they made them long enough that they already touched the the, the target. You know, <laughs> I think most of them just looked dangerous. To actually tell you the truth, they were the Potemkin um, yeah. missiles, right? Special Smith, twenty-one year old, was in awe at playing a part in this momentous event. This year, American soldiers were invited to Victory Day, Russia's most important secular holiday, which commemorates the Soviet Union's triumph over Nazi Germany in World War II. Never before has this happened, the American military said. Hmm. And so Special Smith and about 75 others from the 170th Infantry Brigade Combat Team made their way across the square, their American flag waving against the backdrop of the onion domes of St. Basil's Cathedral. In interviews on Red Square, the Americans spoke of their pride in being asked to march and the hope that their presence would help improve relations between the two countries. Isn't that something? Uh, That is a real change. But then again, going golfing in South Vietnam is quite a change, too, you know? It is, right, yeah. I mean, you can go and, you know, have one of those wonderful sort of tropical resort hotel things, a little island off the coast of Vietnam, hang out there. There's nobody, you know, there's not like napalm coming down here in the morning, you know? And now when you say, I'm going down to Vietnam to shoot 18... Nobody gets hurt. There you go. No, no. You end up in Red Square. You got, uh, you know, you actually have a Google map of the inside of the Kremlin. Oh, it was. And the Russians said it was World War II was a common victory. All the people of the former USSR struggled for it. Our allies advanced it. And today, soldiers of Russia, the former Soviet countries, and the anti-Hitler coalition marched together triumphantly. Well, I just hope we remember what we fought for in World War II. You know, I look around the Patriot Act, which is neither patriotic nor anything that really does anybody any good, reminds me not of the good old days, but the bad old days. The Patriot Act, right? Yeah, the Patriot Act, you know, last refuge of a lawmaker. Economics has been called the dismal science. And when I was in my first year of graduate school in economics, I found it so dismal, I went back to theater. But dismal as it is, it's necessary for us to understand what's going on in the world of finance if we can make any attempt to figure out what's being done to us and what we can do to solve it. So here's a look at Fed policy the Federal Reserve Policy, uh, from one of my favorite sources on the web, the Asia Times. The Asia Times out of Singapore. It's a wonderful newspaper, and they're one of the few places that will print material, often by American authors, that are are just too incisive and too complete to be handled by American newspapers. So I'm going to, I've edited this down so that you don't end up, you know, with eyes rolling up in the back of your head, but give a listen. There is arguably no greater danger to financial and economic stability than a central bank pushing cheap monetary policy by forcing interest rates to low levels with negative real interest rates and unlimited liquidity into the banking system. Loose monetary policy pushes credit, inflates asset and commodity prices, and leaves bankruptcies and economic and financial chaos in its wake. This is essentially the path taken by the U.S. Federal Reserve since 2001, the most hazardous monetary policy since its creation in 1913. I often thought it was weird that that our um, you know interest rates were at zero or 0.1%. How come money can be so cheap? One of the things it does is it lowers the cost of mortgages. So here comes the mortgage boom, right? The toxic mortgage boom. It also lowers the the cost of borrowing money. So here comes the asset, the debt asset bubble. And the Fed made it possible. And of course, the Fed is politicized. It's run both by Congress and by the private banks, which are its members. But we, the people, so to speak, have little or no oversight. And in fact, when they, they pass that, 
part of the uh, Bank Reform Act that allows us to audit them at least in the, from the past, just the last, what, year and a half to find out how they were involved with the crash. Uh, the, the White House and the Congress were very careful not to let us audit it further, but that's coming. Okay, back to it. Uh, the Fed has given lessons in building and rebuilding bubbles. Yeah, I mean, you know, they make ivory soap look like an amateur. These are the bubble boys. The Fed has set interest rates to near zero bound, but put no limit on expanding its balance sheet and changed its procedures by purchasing long-term risky assets such as mortgage-backed securities and the consumer loan-backed securities that other major central banks, such as the European Central Bank, have so far resisted. So it is really basically the buyer of last resort, and it's been sucking up the junk. The Fed admonishes commercial banks for taking excessive risk, yet it does so itself without impunity. Risk does not appear to be an overriding issue for the Fed as it adopts whatever is needed to achieve full employment. Success seems to be measured by the rate of economic growth and employment and not by the safety of the banking system and financial stability. Failed banks are simply bailed out by the government printing press. The irony is that this policy did, in the short run, create some sort of prosperity, but it brought it all down in the mid-run. So it is a defective, it's an impossible, and it's a worthless policy, and they're still pursuing it. During the 2002-2004 period, the, the Fed was oblivious to the consequences of its expansionary policies. Instead, it considered the ensuing economic boom as a glamorous success of cheap monetary policy. Then-Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan stated, We are enjoying now in 2005 a prosperity thanks to cheap money policy. Of course, he's gone, and so is the prosperity. The Fed would have never predicted the 2008 financial crisis, nor unemployment at 10%, the U.S. fiscal deficits at 13% of gross uh, domestic product, and the U.S. debt rapidly approaching 100% of GDP. Our debt is going to equal what we produce, and soon, like Greece, it's going to be over 100%. The Fed was only interested in the boom and the false prosperity that such policies had created. The relationship between cheap money policy initiated by the Fed and the Greek debt crisis may look remote, but in fact, it is a tight one. Flush with liquidity, U.S. and European banks lent to subprime borrowers as well as to sovereign borrowers, foolishly believing that with the advent of the euro, Greek credit was the same as German credit. There is never lack of borrowing as long as money is available for lending. By setting interest rates to near zero bound and forcing cheap liquidity, a central bank is fostering two goals an economic boom, and speculative bubbles. It has decided to ignore the safety of the banking system and the consequences of the financial chaos, with bubbles bursting and an inverted credit pyramid when the house of cards falls apart. In fact, that's what happens. Cheap money has promoted the Ponzi financing, speculation, and swindling, as illustrated by the Bernie Madoff finance scandal. Very low interest rates caused credit to expand to a record ratio of 350% of GDP in the U.S. and to record levels in a number of other industrial countries. Consumers in the U.S. afforded abundant credit spent far above their incomes thanks to debt. U.S. household savings ratios fell to zero and national savings became negative during 2005 to 2007. Savings rate. How much do you save of how much you make? Normally, the normal savings rate is somewhere around 2 to 3%. Japan, which was, is very conservative, sometimes as high as 5 or 6%. To be at 0% or negative means you're no, not only not saving, so you're not protecting yourself in the future. You're in the hole and going deeper. And the problem is, is that we have an economy that takes that debt and calls it an asset. The U.S. economy was able to grow only because it was able to borrow from abroad. The same pattern held in Greece and elsewhere, leading households and governments to borrow and run excessive deficits. Concomitantly, demand for goods was soaring worldwide and so was employment. And surprise, the world economy grew. But cheap monetary policy created immense distortions and large income and wealth re redistribution. Certainly true in the U.S. The haves and the have-not live further and further apart. Very low and negative real interest rates created a housing boom and fired housing prices and a speculative euphoria in the U.S. and elsewhere. The housing market 
was largely financed by Ponzi financing. Borrowers can service their mortgage only when the home prices kept rising and equity loans became available for servicing mortgages. It was that home equity money that went out and bought all the other stuff on credit. The bursting of the housing bubble led to bankruptcies, millions of foreclosures, homeowners losing their savings, becoming drowned in debt, and with many underwater. The federal government in the U.S. had to spend billions of dollars to subsidize homeowners to service their mortgages, and still the housing crisis is unresolved. We've got to put a stop to it. I know it's difficult. It means we're going to have to literally cut back on our credit. We're going to have to get more from less. Again, as I say, it's a spiritual challenge, and I believe that we have the wherewithal to make it happen. I hope so. Otherwise, the Hopi prophecy that I was told in 1966 when I was up there in Haute Villa, the traditional village in um, Arizona, when one of the elders turned to me and said, come the purification, half of America will die on their hands and knees of a broken heart. I certainly hope that never comes true. your soul and free your mind when you turn a corner take a look you see your life is an open book hold your son with all your love never forget where we all come from take a minute and see your ray of sun look in the mirror at your love and don't run we all have different Abilities and disabilities all right ah. Don't let the love of a green bag buck Rule your life till your time is up When all your dirty money is gone You hope your light goes shining on Don't let science your soul and free your mind and when you turn a corner take a look you see your life is an open book we all have different abilities and disabilities all right Different. 
presents Exorcism in Your Daily Life, The Oil Spill. Let's pry on Billy and his dad during their regular family therapy session. <sighs> gee, what is it, son? You look, well, you look worried. Well, gee, Dad, my American Problems teacher wants me to write a high school musical about the oil spill, but I'd rather go play Atlantic Triangular Trade Texas Edition with Bruce. <sighs> Gaming again, son? Yeah, and, and there's this new version of National Guard where they're called up for symbolic duty on the border in Arizona. We we might avenge some international incidents. Yes, or cause some. Well, Bobby, uh, what was it about the oil spill that you wanted to know? Well, gee, I mean, nobody knows what it's all about, not just me. Well, son, you can watch it on your iPhone. There's a free app from Irpy. It makes great wallpaper. Dad... Don't you think it's about time we should go drop in on Mr. Brown down at the First National Billville Casino and loan? I don't think he can help you this time. Doodly 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 Good to see you, Bobby. Glad you could afford to come back. Still confused by derivative hedging products? I, I hope not. You know, it turns out that the funny thing about those pesky derivatives is that they're easy to hate, but hard to understand. Golly, it sounds just like my dad. No, it's just too darn bad that some of our biggest investors use their grandchildren's credit cards to buy their derivatives, but you know, accidents happen. Well, that's right, uh, Mr. Brown, and, and well, that's why I have to write a high school musical about the oil spiller or I won't graduate. Well, Bubby, there's probably an old folk song about oil spills from the minstrel days. Wanna go and check with kindly old Mr. Archer, the custodian, down at the Billville Middle School Museum. Well, uh, why not? Doodly 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 do. Oil spill, oil spill. Oh, bring back my spill cam to me for free. Uh, yes, sonny, yes, it goes way back to the Atlantic Triangular free trade days. Uh, what does, Mr. Archer? Bussing. Say, aren't you here with a question about the new Texas book depository curriculum? No, sir. This is about... I hope you don't want me explaining how government regulations and taxes impact consumer costs. You should have learned that in third grade. No, sir. It's about the TV show at the bottom of the ocean. Oh, no. That's a pilot for people who spill. Oh. That's a new reality show on Fox. Now, look, if you want some real answers about almost anything, you got to go... Right down there to the Gulf and, and talk with Admiral Birdie of the Hellfire and Brimstone Allocation, Taxation, and Relaxation Management Office. Well, if you say so, do I need gumboots? Hi there, Bubba. Uh, here for the real facts about whatever? Uh, right, sir. Uh, Ma'am? I'm both. Well... If you've got past third grade, you must already be able to evaluate efforts by global organizations to undermine our sovereignty. Uh, is, is that over the beasts uh, in the field and the birds of the air? And the fish in the gulf, Bucky. Golly, what about the pelicans? Even the Great Society had unintended consequences. So I hear. Uh -huh. Now the spill cam works great. A miracle of science 5,000 feet under the sea. A miracle of science? Like the blowout protector? Let's put it this way, Chucko. Accidents happen. Oh, well, is there a, a plot to all this, Admiral? You mean terrorists? No, 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 like a story. Like, see, everything in art has three acts, right? Like, I gotta write a musical for American problems, like, like, like hair. Oh, we're gonna use lots of hair, Mickey. As you teenagers know, it just sops up the oil. No, sir, ma'am. A, a musical like Urinetown or, or, or American Idiot. Oh, well, uh... American Idiot just got fired as chief head of the Unsafe Minerals Management and Party Bureau. Well, 
that sounds like an Ethel Merman part. But we're going to spit up, <laughs> split up the UMMPB into the SDROO, uh-huh. Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll Oil Office. Uh-huh. The Sex and Drugs half is going to really have to clean up its act. Yeah, and the beach. You know, Eddie, yesterday the Rock and Roll section of the SDROO ran out of permits for strippers and mutters, and they're just the sort of recreation these hard hats need when they get in off the Gulf. Or get off in the Gulf. Uh, but look, Admiral, you still have to explain to me, would the oil spill make a good high school musical? Are you still there, Teddy? <laughs> it's late, and I've got to go off and check up for dead seagulls. Oh, that sounds like a Russian tragedy, ma'am, sir. Well, well, it's a great big ocean out there. Words like fragile come to mind. Uh-huh. I, I think I know what Doc Inferno would have to say about this. I've got him right here on Reverb. We're doomed. More problem-solving exorcist apps from Erpy all the time. More goodies from Politico. The White House has lent its support to a proposal floated by three lawmakers that would repeal the so-called don't ask, don't tell ban on gays serving openly in the military in a way that a top lawmaker says is palatable to the Pentagon. So those guys can finally eat it. The administration supports the proposed amendment. White House Budget Director Peter Orzog said in a letter to the measure's co-sponsors, Senator Carl Levin, I love Carl Levin, Senator Joe Lieberman, I hate Joe Lieberman, and Representative Patrick Murphy, of whom I have no real idea one way or the other. But if, at least if he's against don't, don't ask, don't tell, and all of that, he's sane. Orsog's letter came in response to one uh, the three lawmakers sent the White House asking for the administration's response to their proposed legislation that would allow open homosexuals to serve in the military. The deal had been carefully orchestrated during weeks of discussion and finalized in meetings recently at the White House. Before that repeal could take effect, though, the Pentagon would have to receive a copy of its study, and the president, the defense secretary, and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff must clearly certify that repeal will not harm readiness, recruiting, or retention. Defense Secretary Robert Gates has repeatedly asked Congress to hold off on changing the law until after the review is finished. But just Monday, a week ago, Levin said the Pentagon is also backing the deal. Then it's done. It's done. The law prevents them from doing what they say they want to do, Levin said, referring to comments made by Defense Secretary Robert Gates and Admiral Michael Mullen, suggesting that a repeal on the ban is a question not of if, but when. On the campaign trail, Barack Obama promised a quick repeal. The don't ask, don't tell if elected. But gay rights groups have grown increasingly frustrated at Obama over the lack of concrete progress on the issue up until now. Accusing the president of dragging his feet on a key campaign promise to avoid angering the middle of the road voters who helped get him elected. Well, it's not that simple. You're president of the United States, a job much too big for 10 men. You've got all sorts of things happening. You want to get this done. It's one thing to be on the road running for president and think all you have to do is like stand up and say, it's over, it's done, by cause, I change it all. He learned that you really have to compromise, you have to reconcile, you have to realize what you get from one thing and what you get from another. There are a couple of areas where he could do right and is doing wrong, cutting back the Miranda rights, shame on you, Barack, and killing people from the air because they smell like uh, (laughs) insurgents. But generally, I think he's doing a pretty good job. Groups that have pushed for uh, repeal applaud the move, you know. The president's statement keeps his promise to lift the ban by establishing the terms on which don't ask, don't tell will be dismantled, said Aaron Belkin, director of the Palm Center, a think tank focused on sexual minorities in the military. For the past 17 years, every expert who has studied this policy has emphasized that dismantling it would require leadership. Leadership is what the president has shown. With the White House on board, the next hurdle for a repeal will be securing votes in the Senate Armed Services Committee and on the House floor. Okay? They'll get it done. I don't know if we have the votes, said Levin, chairman of the Armed Services Committee. He'll twist a few arms and other parts of the anatomy to get it done. Activists have zeroed in on several senators as possible swing votes for passage, including Representative Byrd of West Virginia. He's a good man. He'll come around. Scott Brown, the Republican from Massachusetts, a totally Democratic state. He'll come around. 
Evan Bai, Bill Nelson, Ben Nelson I'm so sure about. He's such a yapping blue dog. And Jim Webb of Virginia. They'll get it. In the House, Representative Patrick Murphy is set to offer an amendment to the defense authorization bill that was approved recently by the House Armed Services Committee. They're getting it together. Though the amendment has the support of the House Democratic leaders, it wouldn't likely have made it through the committee since its chairman, Representative Ike Skelton, a Democrat of Missouri, opposes repeal. Yeah, probably because, you know, uh, people aren't homosexuals. Ike, it's, it, it's a choice they make, you know. Uh, they wake up one morning and say, I'm gay. I just want to live the gay lifestyle and be, uh, you know, be uh, discriminated against and be humiliated and maybe dragged behind pickups and killed. It's just kind of a choice I made. I can change at any time or I can have a bunch of those evangelical beanbags pray it out of me. Pentagon's buy-in will help win some bipartisan support, said Aubrey Sarvis, executive director of Service Members Legal Defense Network, who called the White House announcement a dramatic breakthrough. We're talking about a defense personnel policy that should not be a political football, said uh, Sarvis. We're on track for a good bipartisan vote. It appears, though, that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is a big factor in getting this done. She sent a clear message to the White House saying, look, in terms of this policy, don't ask, don't tell, hey, don't wait. Lawmakers, aides, and gay right activists are crediting the California Democrat and Senate Armed Services Committee Chairman Carl Levin with forcing the White House, key congressional players, and Gates in the Pentagon all to sign off with varying degrees of enthusiasm on this bifurcated plan that would lift the policy later. Pelosi and Levin say this year's must-pass defense authorization bill wending its way through both chambers this week. You can see this bill wending its way, picking up money as it goes because nobody can say no to defense. We need those Drones. Soon they won't just be killing people who look like insurgents. They'll be killing people at the border who look like illegal immigrants. All right. This is the vehicle they say we needed to get this done. Okay. Uh, fine. But it goes farther than that. There's more to it. There are, there are more people who are involved with making this happen than just Americans. Recently, three gay men, officers... Scandinavians, as it is, I believe one was Danish, one Norwegian, and one um, uh, Swedish, made a very specific statement about don't, don't ask, don't tell, and this whole idea of uh, discriminating against homosexuals in the military. They say that America is the largest and most effective military force in the world. They're our greatest ally, but there are times when we cannot cooperate that, with them on various operations because we worry about how they will treat the homosexual members of our units because, of course, in these armies, uh, homosexuals can serve their countries openly. So basically, we're putting the greater good at risk because of this narrow homophobic policy that we've been pursuing for so long. But it looks like things are going to change. And hooray for that. Uh, uh, just a minute there, just a minute there, Mr. Uh, Mr. Bergman. This is uh, Sheriff Luger, Axe Handle, here again on the show with you. And it's time for uh, my regular Sheriff's Report on Aliens and other and other strange occurrences hereabouts. So uh, you ready people for People are this? waiting. Uh, people called and said, I never knew. But hey, there you go. Well, they will know now because this is printed in our newspaper. On Wednesday, May 12th, this was a big day because in the morning at 6.58, a woman there on Hawaii Lane said her sister was causing a scene and was refusing to leave. Possessed. No, that was at six fifty-eight in the morning. You wow. understand? You got to get a sheriff out of bed for you know. Refusing to leave what? Ref Her body, the scene. What? I, I, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. At uh, at your one twenty-eight p.m. in the afternoon, a woman on Shorewood Avenue said someone with a large yacht had been running it for the last hour, and it was so loud that she had to wear earplugs in her house. You know, aliens have no sense of sound. They're, they're so sound impolite. Well, I tell you, I don't think a large yacht, you don't run a large yacht. It just hangs there over your house, this big round thing. It makes up noise. you got to put it in your eye. We're in trouble. We're in trouble now. But then Friday on the on your May 14th at 6.45 in the morning. Again, here they come. Here they come. Starting the day, a Max Welton Road resident found a man in his late teens or early 20s sleeping on her couch. She said she didn't know him. 
Well, it probably at least he didn't freak her out by revealing his real form. I mean, if she'd have seen him as the alien that he or she yeah, really she just was, said she didn't scare the it. death out of her. Yeah, yeah it yeah. would have just you know. Is there more sleep? Oh yeah, and oh, no. because at six forty nine p.m. that very same evening, a caller said a group of eight and nine year olds were playing a game of running in front of vehicles on Bayview Road. Well, it, no eight or nine year old child would do that. That's aliens. That's, They're just trying to scare the hell out of you. And they, you know, the cars would pass right through them if they gave them an opportunity. Well, of course. I mean, there's no danger. Well, here's how it ends, though. On Saturday, 10.51 p.m. on Saturday, May 15th, a woman on Kemp Lane reported a trespasser. Ooh. She said a man had a garage door opener and was in her garage sitting in her sauna. She said the man was dressed and had a leisurely demeanor. Well, that's it. That's it. First of all, he was signaling the the mothership with that garage door opener. Common, common thing. In terms of sitting in the sauna, where he comes from, you know, that's normal. I mean, 104 dry heat, you know? That's your hyperbolic uh, chamber. You sit in there and you you use the garage door opener and poof, you're back in the mothership. It just only takes a second or two. I got these people. I I, I can see now. What worries me, Mr. Bergman? If it worries you, it worries me. It truly me. does, because he had a leisurely demeanor. Oh, yeah. He wasn't taking the whole thing seriously. You know, he wouldn't be bothering us if they had finished that dang fence. Well, it's another spring day on Radio Free Oz, another, another spring show. Another but spring shower today, Another too. spring shower. So warm, so, mm. so gorgeous. Well, I'm going to take you another place with this Tang poem, Pete. This is called Finding an Arrowhead. Finish the Tang poem. (laughs) (laughs) I will. Finding an arrowhead on an old battlefield. Ooh. Could happen here. Black ashes, dust, powdery bones, red pigment stains. Ancient blood has flowered green on the bronze. The white feather gone. The shaft rotted, only this wedge, this wolf's tooth. I was crossing the plain with two horses, east of the outpost, through stony fields and weedy ridges. Early darkness, the strong wind died, a few stars and wet black banners of cloud hung overhead. Ghosts cried out on all sides. I sacrificed some wine and mutton. The insects were still, the wild geese moaned far off, and the reeds shone red. A whirlwind blowing foxfire kept me company. I like to find old things, and I picked up that arrowhead. In tears, that broken point that buried itself once in human flesh. But I traded it later to a boy on horseback in the southeast quarter who begged to have it and gave me a new bamboo basket. Fair trade. Fair trade. Yeah. Well, that'd be Radio Free Oz for today. Oh, David, I love that Tang stuff. Oh, just keep going. I will do that, Peter. Yes, our co-hosts, David Osman and Peter Bergman, we do it together. John Cumming. Oh, we're doing the Oz Gang here. He's Mr. Ones and Zeros. Dave Maloney, he records us. Uh, all this sweet sound. Um, also, we got uh, Tom Gedwillow does our webmastering. John Cumming, the Ones and Zeros. We got the beauty art from Phil Fountain. And our uh, media guru, our social media guru, that's Scott Wilde. Catch you tomorrow.